Volume Three, Chapter One of *The Rebel Rose* by Justin McCarthy and Rosa Campbell Prade. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter One: Bosworth won't have it. Dear Mister Bellarmine, Lady Cora Mallory wrote, "I never see you now. Never. You must come and dine with me on Sunday. Just one of my tiny, quiet little dinners, such as you used to say you liked." i want you particularly for i am going out of town so very soon do like a good creature throw over everything else just for this once and come to me then there was a little postscript i think lord twyford will dine with me he will be coming up from lord bosworth's on sunday come bellarmine said to himself that explains the urgency twyford wants to tell me the result of his dealings with lord bosworth yes of course i shall go lady cora mallory was a relative by marriage of lord twyford she was a widow she was fairly rich and she lived to please herself she had a small house in a mayfair street she kept no men-servants except her coachman and her groom and they did not live in the house she gave pleasant little dinners and luncheons and she was supposed to have no political opinions and to entertain trojan and tyrian alike this was of course the reason why lord twyford selected her house as the rendezvous for bellarmine no suspicion would be roused in any mind by the fact that lord twyford had met bellarmine at lady cora mallory's house lady cora was a connection of his and lady cora's pretty little house welcomed to its friendly bosom everybody who was worth knowing and perhaps indeed some few who in the strict sense were not worth knowing so mr bellarmine went to the little feast on the appointed day there were two ladies besides the hostess and there were lord twyford and a brother of lady cora's just home from sea he had a command in one of the squadrons and bellarmine himself the dinner was excellent the talk was bright and varied lady cora talked a great deal and was a woman of incessant movement and gesture she was thought handsome by some people those who did not think her handsome were willing to admit that she was impressive some less kindly persons hinted that she was oppressive presently the ladies left the room and lady cora's brother found that he had to hurry off somewhere lord twyford and bellarmine were alone lord twyford pushed the claret jug to bellarmine and there was a moment of silence which bellarmine determined that it was not his part to break i have been seeing bosworth twyford began with a little uneasy cough in fact i went down there early on saturday and only came up this evening yes said bellarmine yes then there came two uneasy little coughs little clearings of the embarrassed throat and lord twyford went on fact is mr bellarmine some of your friends have been acting rather indiscreetly i think I suppose it is very hard to keep things altogether private, but I fancy there has been some indiscretion somewhere. Not with me, Bellarmine said firmly. Oh, dear, no. No one could think anything of that kind about you. But do you see it has got out somehow that Champion has been making arrangements, sending up pilot balloons, sending out scouts? It's got about, and it has specially got to bosworth's ears i must say bellarmine twyford went on suddenly becoming familiar 
i must say there does appear to have been something like treachery or underhand dealing of some kind someone has peached isn't that the old-fashioned slang phrase someone has been peaching to bosworth i found he had got hold of the whole thing and he was wild about it how he looks at it is that champion has been only trying to humor us while all the while he is making serious arrangements elsewhere he has been humbugging us he says bosworth says i mean and he has been mystifying saxon he's going to play a downright radical part he says i mean bosworth says and to appeal to the country from a regular revolutionary platform oh that's mere nonsense bellarmin said he could hardly hope to get the support of my friends if he were going to mount a revolutionary platform i know i know but you can understand that what bosworth calls a revolutionary platform you and i might call a platform of reasonable reform anyhow bosworth has regularly taken fright and all our slow fellows with him and he shies like a horse he vows we were just about to be made the cat's paw of champion and the demagogues and some of our men whom i had all but persuaded to take my views now start back and say bosworth is right then lord bosworth won't make any move my dear fellow i shouldn't so much mind even that i'm afraid he will make a move and that like the crab he will go backwards i am sorry for it bellarmin said gravely there is a great chance lost to the conservative party a chance of identifying themselves with a real popular reform and at the same time keeping the real reform from degenerating into a sham revolution yes i am sorry for it too lord twyford said with a gentle sigh it was an opportunity one would have liked the grand old conservative party to stand in an attitude of something better than mere resistance one might have had an ambition to have a share in some bold and generous movement forward but there it is you see bosworth won't have it i think that ought to be the motto of conservatism since de carmel's death bellarmin said bitterly bosworth won't have it there is too much truth in that but what can we do we can't get on without bosworth are you getting on with bosworth well no it don't seem like getting on does it it seems more like getting off i should say but some of our men won't do anything except just as bosworth tells them against bosworth and stupidity said bellarmin the gods themselves contend in vain oh well bosworth is a brilliant man in his way and you must admit that his foreign policy is bold but as you say he is somewhat narrow-minded and very determined anyhow there is the condition of things and i was anxious to let you know in strictest confidence of course at the earliest moment possible you will have to decide as to your own course perhaps i ought not to have told you all this so fully but i felt bound especially to you and i thought it was but right to let you know at once that the thing is at an end so far as we are concerned shall we go upstairs yes just a moment about this treachery lord twyford can you tell me anything more clearly twyford indulged in a little embarrassed chuckle well i don't know 
I don't think I can tell you much, indeed. I don't know very much myself. But Bosworth implied it to me, if he didn't exactly say it, that he had had positive information conveyed to him about Champion's intentions. Positive information? Did he say from whom he got the positive information? <laughs> I think Bosworth rather gave me to understand that it came in the form of anonymous information. There did not appear to be anything more to say. They were about to leave the room when Lord Twyford suddenly stopped. I thought at first of resigning, he said in a low confidential tone. Indeed, I had almost made up my mind to it, but Bosworth wouldn't hear of it. And, after all, one must compromise, I suppose. Perhaps things are not exactly quite ripe with us yet, with the conservatives of the old school, I mean. It would be impossible to bring up some of our country squires. We haven't had time to educate them. Will things ever be ripe? Bellarmine asked. If men of higher intellect and more enlightened opinions do all the compromising and the pig-headed dullards are allowed to have their own way in everything? You put it rather sharply, Lord Twyford said, with just a faint tinge coming on his delicate features. But of course there is something to be said for your view of the matter. I don't dispute that at all. But in a practical way, what good could be done by my withdrawing from the government now? Would not that be merely to leave the, uh, well, the class of persons you describe somewhat severely, to have their own way in everything? It would leave them alone with the country, Bellarmine replied warmly, face to face with the country and alone. Lord Twyford remained silent for a moment. He felt within himself that there was force in what Bellarmine had been urging. Still, he thought it was hardly the moment to withdraw from Bosworth. It might create a wrong impression through England. It was not timidity or nervousness that restrained him. He told himself, oh, nothing of the kind, only statesmanship. Bellarmine, much reflecting, walked to his club after having left Lady Cora Mallory's house. He was beginning to think that there was a good deal of the demoralizing in this noble game of politics. Here is Lord Twyford, in private life, a man of honor and of virtue, even of piety, it is said, yet having worked hard in secret yesterday to induce his leader and his party to adopt a certain policy. He will now work hard in public tomorrow to frustrate and defeat that very same policy. No doubt he will get up in the House of Lords and argue against it and condemn it and denounce it. And no doubt, too, if it were to be stated in the papers that he had conferred with Bellarmine on the subject and endeavored to arrange a combination between Bellarmine and himself in favor of the policy he was now to oppose, Lord Twyford would get up in the House of Lords and publicly deny that there had been any such conference for any such purpose. And only the other day, even, while professing a desire to cooperate with Champion, and to induce the whole party to cooperate with him, Lord Twyford's chief idea was to get beforehand with Champion and cut him out and obtain the whole credit of the reform for the Conservatives. If this is what a man of the highest reputation for honor will do, Bellarmine asked himself, 
what may we not expect from the men who have no especial reputation that way but are content to be only like other men we can understand don quixote he thought and we can also understand gil bloss but how to combine don quixote and gil bloss and make them one bellarmin's suspicion of treachery had not at first turned in the right direction it was true that partly by assuming what she guessed but did not know partly by adroit questioning partly by pulling the wires which she had at her service in the different camps lady saxon had ascertained the existence of what she called to herself the twyford overtures and had summed up in her mind with tolerable accuracy the substance of the interview between lord twyford and bellarmin lady saxon had by no means underrated her value to champion as an ally a beautiful woman who chooses to play the game has forces at her command far more subtle and effective than those of male statecraft lady saxon might at times have made a more accurate count of heads than any of the whips on the liberal or the conservative side as a minor instrument colonel towers was very easily manipulated and ross bingley the journalist who always contrived to gather loose ends together and pick up bits of information nobody knew how that gave the clue to more important information still was a no less lightly wielded tool bellarmin soon saw clearly that lady saxon knew a good deal about the business it is easy work of course for people skilled in such delicate manoeuvring to reveal much without actually saying anything and then too there was a temptation only possible when a woman's good opinion was in question to let her see that he was not considered by his party so unimportant as she might have imagined and the more he recognized her real knowledge her tact and her diplomacy the more he realized that she was no mean political counsellor no ordinary feminine partisan the more dangerous became the position and the greater the temptation bellarmin had never mentioned lord twyford's name to her he had not even suggested that the conservatives had an idea of checkmating champion but lady saxon read the move and she talked it over with champion and the two resolved that the bosworth conservatives should be checkmated in their turn so a whisper pierced the ear of the marquis of bosworth himself you are sold to the championites it insinuated lucifer has dug a pit into which you must tumble if you move forward you had better fall back behind the lines of your taurus vetris of ancient toryism and wait there until better times as the dear old tory duke waited until napoleon's men had spent themselves to try to compromise with champion is to try to sup with lucifer without a long spoon if bellarmin was variable and perturbed during these days mary stuart beaton too was under the influence of moods and impulses which made her seem at different times a totally different person her temperament was like a lake that reflects sunbeams and clouds as the sky changes and there blended strangely in her nature a certain french gaiety and elasticity with a northern courage an open-air hardihood and a strain of religious mysticism and melancholy devoutness that seemed to give ground for the fantastic suggestion of a parallel between her own personality and that of mary of scotland whom she resembled in feature the devotee was prominent just now 
the creche and school board breakfast schemes and a wild project for expending some of the stuart inheritance as soon as she should come of age in building a catholic church and proselytizing in southwark filled her mind to the exclusion for the moment of those unqueenly escapades which tormented general falcon and made lady struthers shudder she had not lately teased her guardian to let her mount omnibuses and visit music halls and doubtful places of entertainment and was on the whole as well behaved as the most exacting legitimist could have desired his liege lady to be and then too it was the height of the season and somehow notwithstanding her attitude of separateness from the hanoverians the young princess as people called her had got caught in a perfect vortex of fashionable society after her debut among the whigs at lady saxon's house the duchess of nornside took her up and introduced her to many notable persons then lady mavis redhouse launched her among the tories and she was even the lioness at a great reception given by the marchioness of bosworth she did not go to ascot but created some sensation at the summer meeting at sandown park and one night at the amphion club ralph bellarmine sitting beside lady saxon one of a noisy little group with long tumblers on a table before them was startled by the apparition of a tall slim figure in a straight brocaded gown with a pale proud face and deep wandering eyes and dark chestnut hair bound by that old-fashioned jewelled coif which mary was fond of wearing she had come in with lady eastgrave and the two women might have been embodied types of the old time and the new nothing could have been more in the nineteenth-century mode than lady eastgrave's low-cut skin-like bodice sleeveless arms crinoletted draperies and fashion-book yellow coiffure ornamented with diamond frogs and beetles bellarmine rose involuntarily and a frown came over his face he did not like to see mary beaton here and with lady eastgrave though the errant husband was ostentatiously to the fore lady saxon noticed the gesture and laughed scornfully you are thinking that your princess looks a little out of place in this atmosphere of cigarette smoke but mary stuart liked a romp sometimes you know and i dare say she would have appreciated this sort of thing intensely mary beaton did seem to enjoy the comic singing which was going on and she did not seem to mind the cigarette smoke she laughed at the buffoonery and every now and then glanced wistfully towards rolfe who however scarcely spoke to her but devoted himself in a marked manner to lady saxon he did not understand her so he told himself with something like a throb of indignation why had he wasted sentiment and adoration upon the saint of farm street who could come down so readily from her pedestal and lend herself with such apparent zest to a mundane scene like this another time when he met her again at the amphion club he could not help saying something of the sort to her and remarked with a sarcastic emphasis that he knew no one who so perfectly combined the world and the church mary colored for a moment and then became silent and stately and reserved so that for a week or so there was a slight coolness between them he met her often at parties and receptions in truth miss beaton had now become quite a famous personage it was altogether the thing to go to her little court and to talk about her and laugh at her pretensions and admire her beauty 
and in the aesthetic circles to imitate her style of dress she was growing accustomed now to seeing her appearance and her dresses and her ancestry described in the papers the more serious papers even discuss her property claims and it began to be generally understood that sir victor champion would bring them forward and that the tories would offer no opposition and that the sovereign would generously assent to their recognition so that from a worldly point of view everything seemed to be going well with our poor princess and there was certainly no practical cause for general falcon's sour looks and odd abrupt manners the relations between falcon and the others of his young mistress's household were becoming more and more strained with every succeeding day the curious thing was that the more difficult falcon became to deal with the more mary made effort to bear patiently with him and to meet him with unfailing sweetness and affection at one time she was ready enough to reply to his rough words by imperious words of her own she was ready enough to laugh at him to make mockery of him and his tempers and his ways but of late she was almost always gentle forbearing considerate there was that change in her which let us hope would be seen in any of us who suddenly found that he or she had been taking for mere outbursts of ill-temper what were really but the symptoms of malady and of pain but to the outer world to all who came into association even into close association with him there was no appearance of any sort of malady or ill-health in falcon no man ever carried sixty-five years with more careless ease his tread was as firm and as light as that of a man of thirty he seldom troubled to put his foot into his horse's stirrup in order to mount he vaulted into the saddle with the elastic spring of a boy he managed all his mistress's affairs as shrewdly as ever but his manners were becoming every day worse and worse more imperious and more rude to all those around him lord stonehenge was deeply concerned and could only account for the change in him on mary's own supposition that anxiety in regard to her fortunes and cause had preyed upon him and had shaken his nerves it had always been understood that falcon's old wound at times rendered him irritable and uncertain but people wondered how miss beaton was able to endure him and as she became more and more talked about in london the most absurd stories were got up as to the origin and extent of his guardianship and the most fantastic guesses hazarded to explain the extraordinary power he was said to have over her and which no extravagance of ill-temper on his part seemed to lessen in truth mary was herself in a depressed and fluctuating state of mind and nerves amidst all her gaiety and occupations and religious exercises she often felt lonely and astray and bewildered life seemed to her something like a theatrical performance in which hardly anything was real and very little was satisfying she was troubled and perplexed she did not know why she clung to her benevolent schemes and to her church and to her old friends who she believed loved her and she thought falcon loved her best of all and with most of a father's love what did it matter then about his humours and his contrariety and his strange wild outbursts of affection since the affection was and had always been the most disinterested upon which she could rely she believed in lord stonehenge and clung to him after a fashion she was always gentle to him and sweet 
but she could not help sometimes feeling a little pang a little doubt and dread she could never forget that night when he had offered her his heart and his life she believed in sir victor champion too and admired him and took pleasure in his company but there was just that faint doubt in regard to him also end of volume three chapter one